Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Turn around to somebody close to you and tell them there is power in that name, in the name of Jesus. Whatever situation you're going through, whatever you're battling against, God has an answer. How many say amen? Maybe you came to church tonight because you need an answer to something. And that's what God does. He has an answer. Amen? So tell the person next to you, he has the answer that you're looking for. And as you're doing that, you guys can be seated. It's always a pleasure and an honor that we should never lose sight of being in the house of God. Any witnesses here? It's awesome to be in the house of God. Last Sunday of February, how many had an amazing February, right? Had a good Valentine's Day? Yeah. So-so, maybe. Still praying to God for your Valentine? Maybe that's the answer you came seeking today, you know, who knows? God moves in mysterious ways, but God knows all of our needs. God knows... What are the questions that we have in the depths of our heart? And whatever the case may be, God is in this place. And I just want to be used by God tonight to be able to share a word that's going to encourage you. Because, you know, every single person has a routine that they do every morning when they get up. I have mine. I get up, I pray, and I jump in the shower. That's my routine. I'm curious to see what are some of your routines every single morning when you get up. So anybody care to share? You could just scream it. You thank God for waking you up. That's the first thing you do. Awesome. And, and after that? <laughs> no further details. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you said eat? Really? Eat the minute you wake up. Who else eats the minute they wake up? Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. A couple of hands there. Anybody else has any intricacies, anything out of the norm? Look at your phone. Hits the snooze button. First thing she does when she wakes up. <laughs> Five more minutes. And you said you look at your phone. What do you look at your phone for? Is that what you said, Danny? Or did I hear you wrong? What do you look at your phone for? For Twitter. See what's going on. She's connected. She's connected. Huh? The Bible verse of the day, right? We all have different habits that we've developed throughout time. Whatever your routine is, it's probably the same thing every single day, right? It's not like you do one thing one day. Un unless it's a day off that you get to sleep in, maybe your routine changes a little bit. You don't brush your teeth till 12 p.m., I don't know, right? <laughs> but despite what your routine is, everybody's morning ritual comes face-to-face -face with the mirror. Am I right? At some point in your morning, you go before a mirror. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about. Most of us probably get our first look at ourselves while we're still pretty scary looking, right? Anybody admit that? Right? We got stuff hanging off our eyes, right? We got hair standing up uh, in weird places, and, and we got situations, and we go to the mirror to correct those situations. Clean-shaven guys have some scruffy overnight growth on their face that they got to deal with, right? You got to shave. 
Today, I woke up, like always, you know, I prayed, got up, went to take a shower. But on my way to the shower, I freaked out because I saw this wrecked neck on the mirror. And when I looked, I realized it was me. I got a huge farmer's tan yesterday at the drive-thru prayer. Horrible. I'm like red here and half of my hands. Horrendous. But everybody goes through this routine where we go and we face the mirror and we see what imperfections we need to fix. Facing our mirror first thing in the morning is maybe not a pleasant experience. Am I right? It's not the best experience of the day. Mirrors are very honest little things. They tell the truth. It's a reality you see. They don't compromise. They don't gloss over our defects and tell us we're better looking than we are. They show us every wart, every wrinkle, every gray hair, as in my case, every zit that you probably woke up with. In fact, the better the mirror, the more flaws we see. So if that's the case, if mirrors unveil imperfections and all these bad things that we want to cover up, then why do we all have mirrors in our bathrooms? Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, the question is easy to answer. As unpleasant as it may be to confront our own faces first thing in the morning, if we don't take a look at ourselves before we walk out and make some major adjustments, some not so major, some others need major adjustments, then the rest of the world is going to see that morning face, and that's what we don't want. So we figure it's better to face the truth so we can make the changes we think are necessary to make ourselves presentable to the rest of the world. And the people of God said, Amen. That's why I titled today's message, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Does anybody know where that saying comes from, anybody? Snow White. Snow White. The wicked witch in that story, as you guys remember, sure liked it when the mirror told her that she was the fairest of them all. But when the mirror did not tell her that she was the fairest or that there was another one that was more fair than her, that's when she got very angry and jealous. And that's the thing about good mirrors. They always tell the truth, even if we don't like what we see. Mirrors let us know the real self or person we are. You're going to see in just a minute where I'm going with this. And there was a man that was looking for a job, and he noticed that there was an opening at the local zoo. And he inquired about the job and discovered that the zoo had a very unusual position that they wanted to fill. Apparently, their gorilla had died. And until they could get a new one, they needed someone to dress up in a gorilla suit and act like a gorilla for a few days. He was to just sit, eat, and sleep. How many of you guys would have liked that job? Raise your hand. Yes, anybody? Ladies that are looking for a boyfriend, check the hands, right? Those are the lazy ones. Kidding, kidding. So his identity would be kept secret. Nobody would tell that he was, of course, a man dressed in a gorilla suit. Thanks to a very fine gorilla suit, no one would notice. The zoo offered good pay for this job, so the man decided to do it. He tried on the suit, and sure enough, he looked just like a gorilla. They led him to the cage. He took a position at the back of the cage and pretended to just sleep. But after a while, he got tired of sitting. So he walked around a little bit, jumped up and down, and tried a few gorilla noises, which would sound something like this. You guys aren't cooperating tonight. <laughs> I heard crickets. That's what I heard. The people who were watching him seemed to really like that. They started hearing the noise and they started responding. And when he would move or jump around, they would clap and cheer and throw him peanuts 
and the man really loved peanuts. So he jumped around some more and tried climbing a tree. That seemed to really get the crowd excited, so they threw more peanuts. Playing to the crowd, he grabbed a vine and started swinging from one side of the cage to the other, and people loved it. They started throwing more peanuts at him. Wow, this is great, he thought. He swung higher, and the crowd grew bigger. He continued to swing on the vine, getting higher and higher, and then all of a sudden, the vine broke. He swung up and out of the cage, landing in the lion's cage that was next door. There was a huge lion, no more than 20 feet away, and it looked very hungry. So the man in the gorilla suit started jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, help, help, get me out of here. I'm not really a gorilla. I'm a man in a gorilla suit. Help. The lion quickly pounced on the man, held him down and said, will you shut up? You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Miami Metro Zoo. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Are you like this man pretending to be something that you're not? Dressed up like a gorilla? You know, sometimes you can even deceive yourself for so long that you actually believe you're something else. Sometimes you could even let labels that people have pressed upon your life determine or define who you are in life instead of going to the Word of God. What do you see when you look into the mirror? When we read the Bible or hear a sermon, we're supposed to see ourselves in it. Every time you open the Word of God in the morning, you know, I hope that's part of your routine, but when you open the Word of God, that should be like a mirror unto you. Amen? You read the Bible or you come to church or you hear a scripture somewhere and what you listen to or what you read should be something that you compare your life to and say, wow, is this, is this really who I am? And if you're not, you make adjustments and you fix certain things. Amen? God wants us to do this. How many times have we heard a sermon and thought, man, I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear this. They really needed it. Anybody guilty? Just me? <laughs> I think we've all done that. But God in his power didn't see it fit for so-and-so to be there. He wanted you to be there. Maybe it's because he needed you to hear that message. And maybe that message wasn't for so-and-so. Maybe it was for you. The real reason we are to read and study the Bible is to see the zit on our nose or the frijol on your teeth. Because if you don't see it, then you'll never get rid of it. And I want you to go with me to the book of James. We're going to hit the word of God now. And I want you, as you look for the Bible, or as you look for James in your Bible, I want you to tell the person next to you, remember what you look like. Tell them, remember what you look like. James talks a little bit about that. And it says, we're going to read off verse 21 all the way through 24. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. We are to receive the word of God with what? With meekness. Meekness is humility, right? Like you have to be receptive every time the word of God is being shared with you, whether it be like on a service like today or whether you're reading it alone in your house, right? We need to lay aside all these bad things, filthiness, wickedness, but receive with humility the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So it's a person that comes, wakes up in the morning with all the imperfections, sees himself in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it and just keeps on going 
and forgets all his imperfections. Like the example we just finished sharing. Now you might think, how can somebody look in the mirror and see themselves, see all the imperfections, see all the things that they need to address, and then walk away and forget what they look like? I mean, you look in the mirror, walk away, and you're like, wait a minute, am I bald? Am I fat? Right? Am I short? Do I have blue eyes? How can somebody really forget? It's absurd. Well, what about the guy who looks in the mirror and sees a man created by God to be a provider, blessed with talents and all the skills necessary to make it rain, but it's still dominated by the labels placed on him by his peers or by his parents or by friends a long time ago? What about the girl who's 5'6", brunette, big brown eyes, Latin curves, beautiful girl that weighs 120 pounds. She looks in the mirror and she sees that same 5'6", brunette, big brown eyed, beautiful girl who weighs 120 pounds. But as soon as she steps away from the mirror and gets around her friends, she believes that she's fat. And she can never exercise enough or eat too little. You see how sometimes we see ourselves in the mirror and we, we see a clear picture of what God wants to show us. But sometimes we're fooled and we're deceived into thinking differently. No matter what this girl sees in the mirror, no matter what her friends tell her, even if they tell her that she's beautiful, she still believes she's fat. A person that I knew, she had been told once, just once, once that she was fat by somebody in school. And that marked her. This was when she was in middle school. And it marked her. And she was already a young lady, already past high school, into her college years. And, and every single failure that she had in life, when she would get dumped by a boyfriend, when she would lose her job or get fired, or every single thing that happened to her negatively, she would always attribute it to that. It's because I'm fat. It's because I'm fat. God wants us to see what he wants us to see. Amen? God wants us to know what we are worth. And sometimes we, are, we allow labels. We allow people to tell us what we're worth. So it's possible to look in the mirror and then forget what you look like. It's very possible. And there are two reasons why this can happen. Number one, maybe you don't believe the mirror is an accurate reflection of who you are. Maybe you just don't trust the mirror. How many of you guys have been to a fun house recently, right? Santa's Enchanted Forest. What do we see in fun houses? I went the other day before the year ended. I took Luca and he had a ball in the fun houses. Because once you get to the top, you have all these mirrors that distort the way you look. One of them makes you look super short and fat. Another one makes you look tall and lanky, right? And they all distort, but you don't pay much attention to it because you know it's not the real you. You don't trust them. You don't trust the mirror because they are not an accurate reflection of who you are. And sometimes we realize, or the mirrors make us realize that we have a problem to fix. You see, sometimes God shows us a reflection through his word of things that we need to change, of how he wants to move us in a certain direction. Like our 5-6 brunette example, she has a problem. The enemy was deceiving her into believing that she doesn't look like what the mirror says she's looking. She looks at herself in the mirror. It's, it's a beautiful image of what God created, but other people's labels doesn't allow her to live out that image your value doesn't decrease based on somebody's inability to see your worth. Just because somebody doesn't value you doesn't mean that you're not worth a lot. How many say amen to that? And when you're the type of person that you need to get your value and you need people to say good things about you just to feel good about yourself, you know, it should be enough what God says about you. 
I'm not going to allow myself to be labeled by what other people think about me. I have friends and people that think highly of me. I have other people that don't think too highly of me. I'm not going to shift my view of myself based on what other people think of me. Who knows me better than anybody? My Father in heaven. God knows me, right? And he says I'm valuable. How many say amen? I'm here to tell you that God says that you're valuable. I don't know what people have told you. I don't know what situations you've gone through in your life. Maybe you weren't born in a situation where you had encouraging parents. Maybe you didn't even have your parents or you just had one parent. Maybe you were raised up in a foster home and you never had encouraging people. But you know what? When God comes and stretches out his hand and pulls you out of whatever situation you're in, he starts pouring into your life worth and he starts reminding you that you're not you're a champion since the day you started since the day you were born how many say amen you're the fact that you're breathing is because you were that one sperm cell that went and fertilized that egg come on over millions of other sperm cells you were a champion come on why don't you put your arms around somebody and tell them you were a champ from the start the fact that we're breathing means that god has a purpose for us amen we gotta make sure that we don't let people come and label us we know that the mirror we're looking in to see the real us is the Word of God. But let me ask you something tonight. Do you trust the mirror? If the Word of God is the mirror, what allows us to see who we are, to fix our imperfections, and also to know what God has said over us, do you trust the mirror? Or do you walk away from it thinking you're not worthy? Do you look at the Word that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and then walk away thinking that you can never be good enough? Is that just something that you say amen to when the pastor preaches it from the pulpit? Or is that something you really believe in your life? Every time you get up on Monday morning, you say, God is with me. I can do all things. You know, sometimes we cancel ourselves out, and it's the same thing. We look at ourselves in the mirror. It's what Paul says. We look at ourselves in the mirror, we get an image of what God says that we are, but then we go out and we live out otherwise. And we don't live like victorious conquerors. We don't live like what God tells us that we are. Do you look at the word and, and you see that, and you read the word that says you have an anointing from the Holy One and you can know all things and then you walk away thinking that you'll never pass your final exam. Or be the father that you need to be to your children because you, maybe you didn't have a father that gave you an example. God says it doesn't matter what your past was like. It doesn't matter if even your father or your mother despised you. The Bible says that God picks us up. God is the one who takes time to be able to pour into our lives. And it doesn't matter what you were lacking the minute you come to Christ. God starts to perfect a work in your life. How many thank God for that? Can we give him praise? Can you give him praise for what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, for what God does as he picks us up? So my question to you guys today is, are you guys ready to face the mirror? You guys ready to face the mirror tonight? Like right now? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's face the mirror right now, and let's see what God says about you and me. For we are God's masterpiece. I could just close it off right there and say, all right, guys, fix what you got to fix. That's what God says about you. If God were to hold a mirror about your life, if he could resume your entire life or his plans for your life or how he sees you, that mirror would say you are God's masterpiece. 
You're a masterpiece of God. You're not just anything. And maybe you said, well, maybe I'm a messed up, torn up masterpiece. But God wants to tell you today that no matter how much you've fallen, no matter how many imperfections you have, this is how God sees you, through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And it says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Yeah, maybe we were messed up. Maybe we didn't start off being a masterpiece, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed, we are justified, we are made new. Come on, can somebody get excited about this? And we are God's masterpiece. And it finished off saying this, so we can do the good things, everybody say good things, that he planned for us long ago. Not only are you God's masterpiece, but even before you were born, God already had plans over your life. And he already determined what you were going to be and what good things, doesn't say bad things, what good things you were going to do. Sometimes we can't see those good things in our lives because you don't see yourself as God's masterpiece. It's so important that today be able to see ourselves in the mirror and say, God, you really created me to do great things. I'm going to start believing in this. Maybe you've had a life up to this point that, man, you could tell stories and write books had a lot of stuff happen to you at a very young age and probably wasn't all good, but God can start a new thing in your life. And it all starts when you start understanding how God sees you. You need to start seeing yourself how God sees you. How many say amen? A masterpiece. Come on, put your arm around the person that's next to you and tell them you are a heck of a masterpiece. I'm not going to be long today. I want to, actually, I want to start closing up. I want to share with you a story that I read this week, and I really loved it. This is by John Ortberg. I didn't write this. He's a pastor in California, pastor of a big church, and he titled this Valuable Raggedness. And he writes, her name was Pandy. She had lost a good deal of her hair. She had lost one of her arms. And generally speaking, she would had the stuffing knocked out of her. She was my sister's Barbie's favorite doll. When Pandy was young and a looker, Barbie loved her. She loved her with a love that was too strong for Pandy's own good. When Barbie went to bed at night, Pandy lay next to her. When Barbie had lunch, Pandy ate beside her at the table. When Barbie could get away with it, Pandy took a bath with her. Barbie's love for that doll was, from Pandy's point of view, pretty nearly a fatal attraction. By the time I knew Pandy, she was not a particularly attractive doll. In fact, to tell the truth, she was a mess. She was no longer a very valuable doll. I'm not sure we could have given her away. But for reasons that no one could ever quite figure out, it was in the way that kids sometimes do. My sister Barbara loved that little rag doll still. She loved her as strongly in the days of Pandy's raggedness as she ever had in her days of great beauty. Other dolls came and other dolls went. Pandy was family. Love Barbie, love her rag doll. It was a package deal. Once we took a vacation from our home in Rockford, Illinois to Canada, we had returned almost all the way home when we realized at the Illinois border that, can, that Pandy had not come back with us. She had remained behind at the hotel in Canada. No other option was thinkable. My father turned the car around and we drove from Illinois all the way back to Canada. We were a devoted family. Not a particularly bright family, perhaps, but devoted. 
We rushed into the hotel and checked with the desk clerk in the lobby, no Pandy. We ran back up to our room, no Pandy. We ran downstairs and found the laundry room. Pandy was there wrapped up in the sheets about to be washed to death. The measure of my sister's love for that doll was that she would travel all the way to a distant country to save her. When I was growing up, I had all kinds of casual playthings and stuffed animals. My mother didn't save any of them, but she saved Pandy. Want to guess why? When I was younger, I thought it was perhaps my mother loved my bratty little sister more than she loved me. The nature of my sister's love is what made Pandy so valuable. Barbie loved that little doll with the kind of love that made the doll precious to anyone who loved Barbie. All those tears and hugs and secrets got mixed in with the rags somehow. If you loved Barbie, you just naturally loved Pandy too. When Pandy was young, Barbie loved her. She celebrated her beauty. When Pandy was old and ragged, Barbie loved her still. Now, she did not simply love Pandy because Pandy was beautiful. She loved her with a kind of love that made Pandy beautiful. There are two truths about this story that I want to share with you. Number one, we are all rag dolls. Every single one of us. We're flawed. Can anybody say amen? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Right. Exactly. We're wounded, broken, bent. Ever since the fall, every member of the human race has lived on the ragged edge. Partly our raggedness is something that happens to us. Our genes may set us up for certain weaknesses. Our parents may let us down when we need them most. But that's not the whole story. We each make our own deposits into the ragged account of the human race. We choose to deceive when the truth begs to be spoken. We grumble when a little generous praise is called for. We deliberately betray when we're bound by oaths of loyalty. Like a splash of ink in a glass of water, the raggedness permeates our whole being. Our words and thoughts are never entirely free of it. We are rag dolls. But the second thing is even more important. Not only are we rag dolls, we are God's rag dolls. He knows all about our raggedness. How many say amen? You think God doesn't know about your imperfections, the things you struggle with? He knows all things. And he still loves us anyhow. Our raggedness is no longer the most important thing about us. We, are, we were not created ragged. From the very beginning, there was a wonder about human beings that caused God himself to say, very good, as he looked at them in the department store window. There was a wonder about human beings that caused the writer of Genesis to say that they had been made in God's own image. There was a wonder about human beings that caused the psalmist to say they rival the divine beings in glory and honor. There is a wonder about human beings still that even all our fallenness cannot utterly erase. There is a wonder about you. Put your hands around the person that's next to you and tell them there's a wonder about you. Tell them maybe, maybe you've never been told, but there is a wonder about you. Raggedness is not your destiny, nor is it mine. We may be unlovely, yet we are not unloved. And we cannot be loved without being changed, there is such a love, a love that creates value in what is love. I'm going to say that again. There is such a love, a love that creates value in what is loved. You are loved. You are loved by God. Therefore, you're valuable. This girl, I mean, it was a raggedy old doll. Anybody that would see it would say, you know, just throw that away and buy a new one. But there was value to that little girl. This pandy doll was like everything for her. She'd travel to distant countries 
for this doll. God would do even more. There is a love that turns rag dolls into priceless treasures. There's a love that fastens itself onto ragged little creatures for reasons that no one could ever quite figure out and makes them precious and valued beyond calculation. There is a love beyond reason. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote with respect to this. He said, God, who needs nothing, loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. You think God needed us? Why did God create mankind? God needs nothing. He is almighty. And what shows his love even more for us is that even after sinning, he continued to love us and forgive us and do everything he can to the point that he sent his only son to die for you and me so that we could once again be reconciled to him and have a relationship with God. What kind of love do you know in this world that can compare to that kind of love? The full extent of God's love was shown not so much when he chose to create us. It was shown when we had become sinful and unlovely. That's when his love flourished over our lives. For God is fully aware of our secret. He knows that we are rag dolls. But interesting enough, prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And I love how he finished writing. He said, every one of us has become ragged. We're all ragged dolls. So damaged by sin and guilt that it seemed like the logical thing left was to discard the human race. Toss it out and start over. But this God cannot bring himself to do it. So God proposed reconstructive surgery. God proposed to take the human race to where he could change filthy rags and remove the guilt and the sin that left the objects of his love so unlovely. There really is such a place. It is called the cross. Stand on your feet. I want to be able to open up the altar today for people that have been struggling, number one, with the way you see yourself. It's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy to sometimes see yourself by what other people label you as. Maybe you've gone through your whole life hearing and paying maybe too much attention to what people are saying about you and what they think about you. And you put too much weight on what people think about you when the whole time God is telling you, you're my beloved. The whole time God is saying, I accept you with all your imperfections. I accept you with everything that you have wrong, with all your flaws. Bring them to me and I can make you a new creation. So I want to open up the altar. If, if God has spoken to your life today and you want to start anew today, and you want to start to start seeing yourself as your creator created you and how, how he wants you to see yourself. I want you to come over here. If maybe you read the word of God and he tells you that, wow, you're more than a conqueror, but then you don't see it in your life. And it's just words on a paper, but it's not something you live and something you believe. You know what? Sometimes you got you to gotta come and say, Lord, I don't accept this anymore. If your Bible and your word and the scriptures are truth and you left in it everything that you think about me and there's something keeping me from believing it, God, I want to put whatever it is that's keeping me from believing it to the side and I want to grab a hold of your image of me. I believe that God is telling young men here, you know what your insecurities are. You know 
what are the things that trouble you? What are the things that you worry about in the future? And, and God wants you to come and lay them all down because God has wonderful plans for your life. Young ladies here that sometimes you compare yourself to so many other people. And originally I wanted to speak about how sometimes the enemy comes and, and messes with our worth and he tries to tell us and, and he tries to even in ministry compare us do i sing as good as this person or do i preach and speak as good as that person and sometimes we compare each other and in doing so we're not paying attention to the masterpiece that god has made you to be god wants you to step up and start believing god for great things in jesus name god wants you to start believing god everything he has written about you he wants you to grab a hold of it and just believe it and trust god Maybe it's not going to happen from one day to another. But you know, the process starts through faith. The process starts by believing God's word. By looking at yourself in the mirror, which is God's word, and saying, look, I need to change this. I'm going to start changing this. Or, wow, God sees me like this. I need to start seeing myself this way. And I want you to come to the altar as a means of saying, God, do whatever you have to do. To do that reconstructive surgery on me, maybe I am a raggedy doll, but I know that through the lens of Jesus Christ, I am made new. I am a good creation. I was created to be on top and not on bottom. The Bible says that we were created to be the head and not the tail. We were created to be prosperous, to be blessed. How many say amen to that? If you're not seeing that in your life and you want to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not conformed with everything that I'm seeing in my life, I want to start to see myself like God sees me. Come to the altar as we sing this song.